Hey Leah! Happy International Women's Month! So it was International Women's Day on the 8th of March, but I really feel like March should be should be Women's Month. Hi Yasmin! Happy International Women's Month! Speaking of which, I just want to share something about my recent experience while driving alone in the city. The traffic was a bit sluggish. Suddenly, I felt somebody on my left-hand side was giving rude gestures at me. So, I looked at them, you know, and they were like on a pig fight or something. And the car was full of guys. You know, I feel so scared, Yasmin, and I looked away. It made me feel like I want to tint my car much, much darker now. You know, I thought the city would make me feel safe. But why do I feel scared in my own car? That's horrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. You shouldn't have to feel afraid, not only in the comforts of your car, but generally in the city. I mean, women feel unsafe everywhere. In in toilets, um, you know, when they're unpacking their groceries, at the parking lots, um, when they're walking in the city. It's frustrating. So in light of this, and in the spirit of women, this month of March, we'll be talking about gender-responsive cities and how to work towards creating more conversations and actions towards making cities more responsive to women and all intersections of gender. Yes, and we have a great lineup of guests on this podcast with whom we uncover the bias behind our built environment and where this stems from. It's great to see more attention being brought to this subject. People are beginning to acknowledge and talk about the inequalities and challenges faced by women in cities. That's right, there's WAO, Women, Girls and Gender and Think City, to name a few who are fighting against the inequalities. In this first session, we'll be talking from the perspective of the built environment and speaking to two women urbanists, Nurul Azrian Aslan and Rashida Kamaluddin. Yep, they will share their experiences in navigating the city and discuss the changes needed in the planning world to better accommodate women's needs. And in part two, we talk to Chris Chong, an economist and also urbanist in many ways about the economics of care work and how that too affects gender-responsive cities. Hi, Azri and Rashida. Happy Women's Month. Hi. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Okay. So would you mind telling us um, a little bit about yourselves? Let's start with Rashida first. Hello. Um, so basically, I'm born and raised in Kota Kinabalu, Sabah. Uh, I graduated with Bachelor in uh, Architecture from University of Malaya. And then afterward, I joined a research team that advocated for uh, inclusive learning environment with for persons with disabilities. And then um, from then also, like we started to formulate um, agent policy for persons with disabilities. Uh, afterward, I pursue my Master in Urban Planning at the University of Melbourne and actually right now I'm taking a gap year. I haven't finished my study. That's why I am an aspiring urbanist. Um, gap year due to the pandemic. My aspiration is to see cities and region in Sabah to be more livable, inclusive and resilient. Um, the thing is I often see a lot of like conversation about city planning in Malaysia, but somehow the East Malaysian are often not included. So, I think somehow since I'm learning about urban planning and architecture, so it's important for me to bring this discourse forward in Sabah's context. That's really interesting, Rashida. And Azrin, what about you? Hi, um, I'm uh, a senior lecturer uh, in the Masters of Sustainable Urban Design program at UTMKL. And uh, I'm also a member of uh, uh, Perikabanda, which is the Malaysian Urban Design Association. 
which is an NGO um, newly formed last year, you know, just at the brink of the pandemic. Um, uh, so what we do is that we champion good urban design in Malaysia. It's a perfect combo to have with us today. Thank you so much. Um, so the topic today, like Leah said, is, is gender responsive cities. Um, how do we talk about that in the context of our cities? How do we talk about gender responsive cities in our cities, which, like Rashida, you said, you know, doesn't often reflect people's needs, people-friendly cities? Because it's quite a, you know, maybe not everyone's familiar with, with this viewpoint. So if you were to start this conversation, how would, how would you start it? Well, um, for me, my, basically my only platform to talk about city planning in the context of Sabah is through my social media. And um, in the very beginning that what I've done was um, talking in a very quite formal way. So it, there, there weren't much of engagement that, with that kind of twist. But then as um, I go further, then I learned that it should be more story-based. So there's this one thread that I read about uh, KK City Planning of how uh, it can potentially be if only we are uh, more open to changes. So it's more like a story based about how I talk. Uh, I said like, okay, this is my experience. Um, I go out from my house and then I'm feeling, I'm feeling safe and then I hop on a bus and then I feel safe of just moving around the cities on my own, even though I'm a woman. So um, somehow that gets a lot more engagement. And then a lot of people started responding by saying that, oh, I've never thought this is possible in Sabah. Oh, I've never thought that um, actually, this is the sort of city that we actually deserve and has the potential to be. So I guess when, because we are, we learn a lot of like these complicated terms in city planning, but then when we converse with people, I guess it's important to use much more story-based sort of um, conversation and language. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that's that's actually that's also been my experience, you know, because uh, I mean I, I started tweeting actively when I was doing my PhD, so I think um, I, I was just like directly pouring my thoughts <laughs> into Twitter, and uh, I I sort of realized that you know maybe it's it's not very easy for people to follow, and um, I think uh, if we want to start talking about um, gender inclusive cities, then we actually have to talk to women themselves to find out um, what are their experiences, you know, like if you if you just ask them, what's your day like, you know, from, you know, start of the day until the end of the day, you know, how do you go through the city? Uh, how do you get to work? You know, what, what kind of uh, stops do you make? You know, what do you think about, you know, if you have to leave your children with a, with a, a child minder, you know, what, what are your thoughts about that? And, you know, just um, use this as the data, basically, to, to really, really get the points across. You know, because I, I think that for most people, um, the city is a given, right? That, you know, it's, they, they don't feel like um, they have the power or they have, like, uh, the influence to actually change things, whereas uh, they can and they should be involved. All right, that right to question, it's almost as if this is how it's always has been this is how it always will be where else actually the city is constantly evolving or it should constantly evolve that's really insightful actually to have a more story-based approach and I think in terms of bringing together empathy and understanding as well to, to change the narrative essentially 
and also interestingly bringing more people to the table not just planners but you know teachers um carers firefighters you know everybody that's involved in the city to have a come to the table and and have that discussion um that's interesting because i would like to add on on that i think uh, there's still lack of platform for people to do that even for example like in sabah we have this portal to give feedbacks and complaints but however it's not accessible to everybody even though like i try to use it but somehow um it requires login and stuff like that so it is not accessible we need like platform that is well known by everybody that people knows or uh, for example a town hall meeting will be held then everybody needs to know a town hall meeting will uh, will be at this time and this place and um everybody is able to participate it should be more open it shouldn't be open to just certain focus group only yeah definitely i think every show we've had we talked about participatory element and how we can actually achieve that right if it's digital then you're excluding some people if it's physical when do you do it what time how do you get everyone there and 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 things like that so so yeah i think that's something that we can um talk about more later We wanted to talk about the Instagram uh, polls that we did recently on our Urbanist Instagram. Yeah, um, we've learned quite a bit the last few weeks, and it opened up all sorts of conversations between us um, that we extended to our Instagram platform. And we asked a series of questions, especially on travel, safety, and care work. So we asked, "Do you need to be extra street smart when traveling in the city?" Of which ninety-seven percent answered yes. Um, as regard to deciding to take public transit, safety is a primary factor for women. So, in your perspectives, what are some of the biases you yourself have experienced or are aware of that you think can help others contextualize the lack of consideration to meet different gender needs? Let's talk about that. Maybe we can start with um, Azrin first. Um, some of the biases, um, I think there is there is this. Um, assumption that you know um as a woman um you are basically in charge of your own safety and security right so if things go wrong then you get blamed like why are you there you know at night there's there's no people on the street so why why do you still walk there so i think this this kind of biases uh, don't actually help women to actually um navigate the this safely because um i, I think in in my article i also Uh, talk about the decision uh, fatigue, right? That you know you 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 have to think like about a million things before you you actually start walking in the in the street. Um, well, for me, I realize this some sort of biases is embedded ever since childhood. I guess this is based on my observation. For example, like in parks or like playgrounds, somehow. Boys are much more uh, like dominated uh, the 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 space compared to girls, and um, this this was my experience when I was a child. So like my house is actually in front of a playground, and I've been observing that as well. And just now I came across um, like a research in Mexico where um, boys and girls are always in a competition of park park space, and then somehow the boys almost always win out. And this is a research in Vienna. So girls stop using the parks after the age of nine years old. So I guess, best on my understanding, there's always this um essential assumption that a woman have to, um, give out the space, for men, and also this also biases that a, uh, woman have to somehow stay at home, in order to avoid certain harassment, um, or any other dangerous um, 
factors coming from the environment. Yeah, that's that's fascinating actually because we underestimate just how much our unlearned experiences changes how we navigate in the city. Um, and it's interesting that both of you mentioned, um, you know, more mindset and culture in terms of these biases, um, and both being planners as well. And yet, um, you know, the the design part, I'm sure there's a lot that you have in mind as well. Um, you know, perhaps the way playgrounds are designed or the way streets are designed. I mean, perhaps like you said, it, it shouldn't be so much about the design. It should be about changing or educating, um, like you said in your article, Azrin, in the end, about educating people to shift their behaviors and, and you know, educate our men, like it's being said now. Um, but yeah, I'd like to get kind of your two cents on design and, and how much that affects behavior. And do you think there's a role of planning uh, and design in, in making women feel safer? How we how we design our cities uh, eventually, you know, determine how people live their lives, and this will determine uh, their perception, uh, their behavior. So um, it has to come together. I mean, that there's only so much campaigns, you know, we can make, uh, you know, like asking men to change their behavior or whatnot. But if the the design of the city doesn't change, then you know this 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 would be futile. This would be a futile effort effort because um, I mean, like it or not, there are people with bad intentions out there, you know. Um, so uh, we we have to ensure that the environment that we provide can provide this safe uh, safe environment first, you know, uh, and then it comes together with uh, with a change of culture and behavior. Mm. I guess when it comes down to design, like cities basically built environment has been uh, dominated, uh, built environment industry has been dominated mainly um, by men for many years. And then women start coming in and start um, to enter the industry, the sector. So we started um, to see more of uh, the changes that are required. Planning as as a planning was very very male dominated for a long time, and even when women started coming in, they're still using that very male language, male approach. Because we do have a lot of women planners, we do have a lot of women in local authority in the planning department, and yet you know the the solutions. I mean, not to speak ill of you know the efforts that they're doing because they are you know doing trying to, to mainstream so to speak, but are they really getting a gender perspective? from all their projects. And, and how do we do that in, in the context of Malaysia? Because um, there's always sensitivities as well when you talk about gender, but you know, we're also trying to say gender doesn't just mean including women, it's, it's including all, you know, across there's so many intersectionalities with, with gender, right? Um, you know, I guess it's a big question here that we didn't really plan for about, but how do we change that? How do we shift that? Yeah, I, uh, I think it, it's the... I'm, I'm probably not the right person to to talk about this because uh, I'm my background is architecture. So, but I'm going to talk about like design education in general now. You know, so so basically everyone who's involved in the making of our built environment. Um, I think the the way we teach has to change. Um, at, at least in architecture, you know, there's always been. Um, predisposition towards like uh, worshipping uh, star architects, you know, like, um, and uh, I think the way we teach uh, architecture in, in this country is also, um, you know, it's, it's a service that we are providing to clients, 
right? So it's a very like a technocratic approach, you know. Whereas um, all this like community or social activism, you know, this this are some things which are just like add on, you know, on the side. But whereas the, the the main point is actually to provide like competent technicians <laughs> who can actually uh, provide the service to clients. And I think if if we uh, actually we are actually a bit more critical. You know, and we ask students to be more critical as well, you know, and not, not, not only to think about, you know, being critical in the design itself, but also like being critical about the profession itself. I think this, this would help a lot, you know. I guess our, our, our hope lies with, with the younger generation, right? Um, I think that's, that's one way how we can uh, try to change this mindset. I think like during my um, experience when I was an architecture student too, we very much focus on uh, the technicalities as in the infrastructure, the structure. And then um, there were lack of conversations about how this will uh, reflect and affect the society. So perhaps like we should have more conversation on that, about um, theory, about like uh, and then when we look at into history, it shouldn't be just like absorbing the information, but also about critically think about it and um, how much it has affect us today and how much further we can improve upon, um, you know, the current situation. That's very interesting, yeah, to think critically. And I think we need to be data-driven as well um, and need to make research on as simple as toilet, you know, um, I've encountered a few times uh, going into toilet, women's toilet, and then I, and I've seen men entering the women's toilet to, to go to the baby's area just because that men's toilet doesn't have the nursing room. And so they, they can't change diapers. And as of today, I think we have more single fathers now. We have shared responsibilities between men and women. And yeah, men need to, to take care of kids as well, to do the care work. Women these days now, they have a lot of responsibilities. They have to go to work. And even some fathers these days are working at home. And um, maybe they are the house husbands now. So I think it, it'd be fair if um, the men as well to have, you know, the gender equality it means it's not siding on women only. In my perspective, I think it's for men as well, you know, to have toilet with area for kids. They have to take care of the kids so that they won't enter the women's toilet just to go into the nursing room. Yeah, I think I'm, I, I'm, I agree with Rashida and, and Azreen um, to critically think about this matter. And, and it must start with educating them since a university where, where you teach built environment in the faculty. Yeah, and I, I think that... Um... In my experience with like uh, planning education, you know, um, I was I was involved in the teaching of the diploma program in UTMKL, you know, so it, there was like a lot of emphasis um, on like the guideline, right? You get the guideline from the local municipality, and you know, you so you have, students have to design according to this guideline. I mean, these people might one day be in a position where they have to drop the guideline, so. I think at, at, at that stage, you know, so early in the education, we, we have to, we have to uh, instill that um, awareness and responsibility inside them and, you know, and not just take the guideline as a given. You know, it's a document produced by people, right? So it, it, uh, it, it should be up for review, you know. You should always, like, uh, be ready to update these documents, you know, according to, like, societal change, right? Definitely, yeah. I think, um, I mean, as well as, 
like you guys were saying, at university level where you're training the future planners, your future architects, that's really important. But you could even start, you know, younger. We could have this sort of awareness of your surrounding and cities. Um, I mean, just to kind of quote Jane Jacobs, you know, how everyone's ex an expert of the city and, and by observing and walking around the city, it's such a powerful tool to to see the injustices, to understand things better. So if we taught our kids, we had programs where we could just walk around the city together. I mean, that would make an eye-opening experience in a way. Oh, why is it that sidewalks are like this? Or why is it that um, there aren't enough uh, traffic lights for, for pedestrian crossings? Or, or why do cars go so fast? So yeah, so I think that's also maybe another, another element in terms of education. Um, and going back to, to what Leah was saying in terms of data, I think we really don't have enough data. And, and just by what Azreen was saying, in, you know, when we ask women these experiences, I mean, when, when we take down that information, that in itself is data that we're understanding people better. Um, so yeah, wh where do you think we are at in terms of sex disaggregated data, in terms of gender specific data, you know, in city planning, especially in your experience, is that something that, that is addressed? I think data in overall, that demographic um, is not sufficient. Let, like we can't even really talk about gender specific kind of data because the general data that we already have right now is not sufficient enough for us to to extract much from it. And also um interesting that uh just now Malia touched on regarding how the society has changed and like a lot of like responsibility that basically was um a woman's responsibility but now has started to shift towards men. So I guess um, even though we are talking about um, women, women inclusive city, but right now I think we also have to um, include men into the discourse. We have to have this dialogue and conversation with them because I have had this sort of conversation about gender inclusive city with my fellow um, guy friends and most of them wasn't aware of all this stuff. Like they weren't aware of how much women feel unsafe in the cities, of how much when women, as soon as they step out from the house, from the car, that they do not feel safe. So I think this is a data as well, you know, like the fact that many of us, as in basically, okay, men, probably they weren't aware of this stuff. So they should be given uh, the space to, you know, have conversation with us and, um, you know, they can probably be the agent of change as well. Yeah, uh, just just to add on, I mean, I think this week, you know, um, there's this case in the UK, right, about this woman, Sarah Everard. Her remains was found uh, and she, she went missing um, after leaving her friend's place at 9pm, you know. So, um, but my, my point is that, um, and then somebody asked, you know, so um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a man, like, uh, how can I help? How can I make, I make things better, you know? And I started getting these uh, responses, right? I think it was on The Guardian. So there's things like, you know, if you're walking behind a woman, you know, cross the street and walk on the other side so the, the woman feels safer or, you know, make sounds so that the woman is aware that you are approaching, you know? Um, so, so these are... The, little tiny things you know that uh, wouldn't really cost much to men <laughs> but would actually mean so much in in making the environment feel safer for women so yeah i i would i would love to have uh, this kind of um, conversation as well um in malaysia yeah definitely i mean i think it's 
like you said, it, this week it being Women's Week, and then and then that that horrible thing that happened, um, and the the backlash that that it was getting initially, I think that's what sparked the kind of counter thing on on what is it that men can do? Because initially it was like, oh, what, what what was she wearing? What was she doing? What, where was she going? Was she sober? You know, things like that, which you know you should be able to feel safe as a woman and 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 participate in the city essentially. Personally, I cycle. I mean, I like to cycle sometimes, and and I see some some of my male friends cycling at night, enjoying the river of life, which is beautifully done. It's well lit and all these things, but I still wouldn't feel safe. I don't know where, at what point I will feel safe to enjoy and participate in the city the same way that men do. Um, but definitely, it's great to see kind of this social media movement on on what is it men can do. Um, it would be great to see that from from the perspective of our cities as well. I think going back to whether or not are we walking on the streets enough, you know, are we experiencing it enough? It's almost as if we've moved away from from doing that kind of pedestrian access. That it becomes a place that you know you only do if you are a risk taker, if you have pepper spray on you, if you you know have GPS recording on you or something, right? Well, hopefully it's it's going to be a change because um, because those stories happen here too. What happened to Sarah? Or, or well, you know, harassment and, and things like that happens happens here every day. Yeah, I, I remember. I think uh, when I first got back, I started seeing this, uh, you know, these railings by the roadside, by the pavements, and I was asking my friend, like, "What is this for?" It's like, "Oh, this is because of the um, the snatch thefts." You know, so uh, it's actually to to discourage uh, or really to just disable, you know, these these guys on motorcycles to just, you know, stop by and just like grab your handbags. It's like, okay, that is uh, grim, but <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that the city is doing something about it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, we also cannot afford to be um, too reactionary. You know, we just like do something when things have already happened you know it, it has to start from like you know the very basics mm. you know when you talk about those those fences that they've put up kind of randomly not not continuous sometimes so people can still cross the road and things like that but then it's also disabling in a way when you have those fences because it limits where you can walk it limits if you have a trolley or something you know it, it, it makes it harder to access the city um, and maybe going back to what Rashida was saying with your research in terms of accessibility in the city and, and things like that when we talk about a city that more gender inclusive we're also talking about a city that's more inclusive for, for everyone right so i think that's kind of the message that we want to push forwards when we're talking about these things oh well i definitely agree with that because um a safe city woman is basically safe city for everybody and going back to how we talk about like providing a platform for more dialogues right when we talk about women like we have to also include those um you know, like, women, it's not, like, a homogeneous entity. There's, like, all types of women. And then there's also, like, um, pregnant mothers and so breastfeeding, breastfeeding mother. And, like, how do we want to further in- make them feel more included? That they, when they go out as a step out of the house, like, how do they want to feel like, okay, I can just walk around and then I know that I will be able to still... Um, serve my role as a mother you know outside of the house that i'll be able to participate in the community in the society even as i step out of the house yeah it's it's always i i find that you know um in malaysia if you want to go for a walk it's it's always like 
it's a huge project, right? It's a project, you know. Yeah. Okay, I want to go for a walk, <laughs> you know. So yeah. then, you know, you you prepare your water bottle or whatever. You know, if you are you're a bit more vigilant, then you you carry your pepper spray. And uh, I agree with Rashida, you know. I mean, it, it it should be easier for people to just decide that hey, I just want to like go to the shop. It's walkable. I can take the car, but I just want to go for a walk. Also, this is like our perspective from uh, a Sabahan. The thing about city in Sabah, uh, the infrastructure is, well, not good enough. Not in par with Kuala Lumpur, obviously. So uh, I've been living in Sabah for, since I was a child, right? So like when I actually went to KL to study at KL, I realized that apparently... Apparently, you can actually go out from the house by just walking. You don't, you don't always have to be, you know, go to places with cars. You see, I I wasn't aware of that. So when I went to KL, of, of course, like um, I wouldn't say that KL is the most walkable city, but it is much better than Kota Kinabalu. Um, like I can actually use the LRT and monorail to move around, and I could feel safe somehow safer than Sabah. And then when I went abroad, then I realized, oh, um, we can actually walk much safer than this. We can feel much safer than I already felt in um, Kuala Lumpur. And then when I reflect back upon this, I realized that so many times I spend um, my time in cars to get into certain destination. And I realized that apparently this box, this confined space is a kind of um, illusion of safety. Just because I can actually move around in a car doesn't mean that the city is safe. The safe city is the definition of safe city. It means that you can actually go out of a confined sp- space and feel a certain kind of like peace when you move around. Yeah, I'm going back to something. One of the um, our Instagram poll responded. The response was never feeling lost in the city always making sure that you know where you're going you don't have that opportunity the serendipity of like walking around discovering something along the way without yeah it's kind of it's sad in a way that we don't get to enjoy the city as men would without that fear going back also to what you're saying of, of experiencing the city in a car and I think that that ties back to how we experience the city and, and how we do care work as well in the city we're seeing that when you do care work now you have to drive from one place to another place you have to drop off your kids you go to work you, you pick up the groceries etc 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 and all these things are done by car so half the time you're, you're you know you're driving and it definitely doesn't make the city more accessible the more we're dependent on it the more problems it creates we're living in the city that's that's like this how do we get out, get ourselves out of the car and and essentially change the way that we that we experience the city i mean design definitely has a big big role to play here you know but but from this conversation I think stories and mindset plays an even bigger role almost to kind of get more people on board on this viewpoint I think we had a final question on on um, how do you envision a more gender inclusive city taking in lessons that you've learned from from other cities um, and what would you say is needed for our cities in Kiki and in Kale? Um, I think a gender inclusive city uh, provides uh, options you know, provides mobility options. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to, you, you have all these options, you know, to, to get from uh, one point to the other, right? I mean, when I was doing uh, my PhD in Delft, I was also living in the city. So half the time, you know, I would walk uh, to, to campus or sometimes I would cycle. If I'm in a rush, I would, I would cycle, you know, 
of course the Netherlands is like a, a bike heaven right but it's a paradise for that but actually I prefer walking than cycling so if I'm really in a rush you know and there's I could always take the bus <laughs> you know um, there's there's always uh, these these options that were available to me uh, I think that um, KL I don't know about KK um, but I think KL does have this uh, potential because it's a it's a small city it's a very compact city you know and you you only feel like it takes a long time to get from one place to the other it's because you're driving and you have to go all the way around right whereas if you were if you're walking you know you could just cut uh, through these small streets so yeah um and i think that um a gender inclusive city is um you know it's a city that is is caring you know it takes care of the least advantaged groups and um you know i, I think if you provide for the least advantaged groups then you provide for everyone uh i like the way how azrin talk about options because um i did experience that in melbourne as well like i have the options to just go to places in different modes and then even as i was walking i can just decided okay i want to go somewhere else you know because it didn't took too much cost or time to get to uh, to just change my mind So that's about the cost of time as well. Gender inclusive city. True is I've never really thought of this even uh like before this talk. Like when um my Sarah sent me that email only then like I realized huh I've never really thought about this and then I had further conversation with Azrin about this about gender inclusive city and I was like oh yeah um this is something that we should talk about more. So like even i as a aspiring urbanist i i find it quite a shame that i didn't try have never tried to include this in the dialogue with everyone else you know so uh for me gender inclusive city perhaps is always always about dialogue it's about the dialogue with everybody else not just between women like us but also to include the men as well I would like to add on as well like I really hope that Saba can further be included in the discourse of planning as well as like I've been trying to find people in Sarawak and also Labuan to you know participate in this conversation so hopefully we we can reach out further into the East Malaysia as well definitely and there's maybe things we can learn as well by sharing when we um because we, we with urbanists we work with different local authorities and sometimes methods used uh, in in East Malaysia really inspires new ways of looking at things for us so so there's also knowledge to be shared and and so much to gain by doing that so we definitely need to always think of that so thank you so much for being on the show we've learned a lot and hopefully this won't be the end of the conversation thank thanks for thanks for having me thank you very much as well <laughs> So that was Azrin and Rashida. It's so great hearing their reflections and fresh perspectives about this topic. Azrin who's teaching future urban designers and Rashida who is herself an aspiring urbanist giving the thoughts about the women's experience in the city and how we should start encouraging kids from young to observe the city and making changes in how we educate our future builders. Yeah, and we should have these conversations more often. Keep it going and bring more people into it, talking about these issues and finding solutions together moving forward. Everyone experiences the city differently, and it's important that we take them into account, personalize them, and translate that into data from which we could learn and make better decisions. 
Yes, I agree. And um, I find what Rashida said was powerful. A city that's safe for women is a city that's safe for everyone. And I hope this conversation continues.